All right, welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. We are on season four, episode 13, Rotten. Rotten. Ta-ta-ta-ta. This opening scene is bananas to me. Yes. Yep. Opening scene, a younger dude is sitting in a jail cell. Toots walks in and puts him in handcuffs, and they discuss his arraignment. If the dude can post bond, he'll only spend one night in jail. They both leave the cell, and they're talking about what will happen if he can't make bond. If he can't, he'll have to stay in Rikers until his trial. Then this dude's like, oh my god, just let me please speak to Mrs. Parks. I can make her understand. Toots is like, that's not going to happen, dude. Mrs. Parks wants you to fucking pay for what you did to her daughter. And he's like, but I love Sarah. She's Mm. pregnant and I want to marry her. And Toots is like, you're 21. She's 15. In case you haven't heard, there's laws against that. And so I'm kind of like, ugh. I'm kind of like, just kidding. It's gross. I know. I mean, it was just like, of course I was like, what a creep. But I was, it was like, oh, how does this kid not know? Like that, he just literally said, I want to marry her. Like, what the fuck? Toots tells him the only thing he can do is serve his time and he'll probably only get 18 months. And I'm like, why is Toots being so fucking chill with this guy? Right. He's like, don't worry. You'll probably only get 18 months when it's like, this is SVU and. And that's a sex crime. Yeah. Normally you guys are like sandbagging fucking pedophiles. Right. So then the officers come and they take him away. So I was thrown by the fact that they said he was 21 because he looks like a teenager. Like he looks like a very young person to me by 90s standards him being a teenager he should be like 60 years old (laughs) right meanwhile luke perry is going to beverly hills high school he's 34 goddamn years old playing a 16 year old and they've got this prepubescent kid who's like i'm 21 (laughs) also this kid is actor johnny pruitt he only has a few acting credits but he was in an iconic Chappelle show sketch Hmm. the n-word family remember it was like a leave it to beaver type sketch oh sure yeah and there's also moments where this kid is giving me major colin hanks yeah mm-hmm. yep mm-hmm. all right now we're in Wy- now we're in rikers intake now we're in wike was island <laughs> <laughs> oh what wike was i'm tired <laughs> the police are tucking in all of the inmates <laughs> and weeding them bedtime stories Sorry. That's Sorry. I was going to say that. <laughs> Bet the stories. <laughs> All these dudes are lined up with chains, like linking them together in a jail. As an officer walks through the door, this officer isn't having any shit. Mm-hmm. He's telling them what's going to happen next. They're going to get fingerprints, photos, cavity searches. And then you see the, the kid go, his eyes closed like, oh, God. And he doesn't want to hear any of their shit about, oh, I'm innocent. Blah, blah, blah. The cops. Blah, blah, blah. Right. You can tell that this is his spiel, like constantly yeah. when new inmates come in. Yeah. You're not going to tell him anything new. Right. So the kid is in the front of the line of the prisoners. He looks terrified. He's getting his fingerprints done. And then we see his mugshot being taken. His board says Pennington A. I'm assuming his name is Aaron Pen- or Adam. Yeah. Is it Adam? Oh, Adam. I don't know. You yeah. know what? I think it was Adam because I looked it up and it said his name next to the credit. Oh, okay. <laughs> then you see him naked, like bent over and they're doing the cavity search and this cop's like, spread him. I don't know why FCU is like showing this to be like such a hard thing for this guy to go through. Like you fucked a 15 year old and got her pregnant. Right. Then he's going into the cell and he's like, what's that smell? And his cellmate's <laughs> like, it's jailhouse perfume, bitch. Get used to it. <laughs> yeah. See, that made me love this scene. Yeah. It's fucking Dorothy. It's like, oh, what's that smell? Somewhere. <laughs> it really was like that, yeah. <laughs> she lost perfume, bitch. Um, and you were there? And you were there? <laughs> right. It's like she gets shanked in the side of the fucking... <laughs> 
neck. Ow! So when they get into the cell, there's already two dudes. One is in like this brown suit or something. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. He's laid out on the top bunk like Burt Reynolds on a bearskin rug. I know I've said that right. before, but it was. It was a, an yeah. amazing pose. And his suit is like he's going to an episode of Soul Train in the 70s. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. He was he was just lounging like, oh, I've been here a million times. I, I, I don't care. Right. You know, Brown bell-bottom suit, paisley mm-hmm. shirt underneath. I'm yeah. like, if this guy doesn't speak again, I'm going to hate it. <laughs> This guy has been developing this small role for months. Right. There's another guy in the bottom bunk who has his hood up and he appears to be sleeping. The guy that, the perfume jail guy, the perfume bitch jail guy, whatever. He's like, that's my bed. And the kid goes, well, there's two that are open. And he's like, shut up. Why don't you go to a top bunk? <laughs> yeah. The guy fucking hits him in the head. Yeah. Oh my God. I didn't think of that. You stupid bitch. <laughs> Yeah, so the the guy fucking hits the kid on the forehead and then drags the sleeping dude off of the bunk he wants onto the floor and there's like blood everywhere and the dude is on the ground not moving mm. Aaron or Adam the kid goes oh my god guards <laughs> guards <laughs> and then like slides down the bars like <laughs> and that is all we see of that situation ever like we don't this was the longest opening to get to the dead body. I was like, oh my God, this isn't even the story. I know. After a while, I was like, I haven't seen Adam in a while. Where is he going to like come in? And he never I, does. I loved it. I love it. Yeah. We are legit into the episode. The next scene is three minutes and 20 seconds in. That's yeah. how long the... And it's, it's usually like them walking through a parking garage going, holy shit, I just tripped over a dead body. It's yeah. three lines. Claire, break up with him. You know, that's it. Yeah. This is an entire story all on its own. Yeah. Oh. And I wanted more. I like want some fan fiction about what like Tell us what happened to Adam. Maybe this is the pilot episode for Oz. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> We're still at Rikers. Benson comes in. She's handing over her weapon and checking in with the jailer. She's asking him about the crime scene and wants the names and documents for the prisoners that were moved from the scene. Benson walks down the long hallway and there's like prisoners mm-hmm. in cells like, ooh, ooh. Their hands were like way too close. Like they could just grab her. I didn't like that. I feel like that wouldn't happen, right? I don't know. Yeah. But she's been there a million times. It doesn't phase her. Yeah. Corner Warner is there. She says that the, quote, animals rattling their cages is starting to get to her and ask where Stabler is. Benson says he's at a seminar, make it nice with the feds. And I forgot about that. And I couldn't figure out why we didn't see him at all. Yeah. He's at a VICAP seminar. And I was like, oh, it's probably because he shot that dude last week. Yeah. I was wondering that too. The man that was pulled out of the bunk is Carlos Torres. He's on the floor covered in a sheet naked. He was sodomized with a foreign object and had internal bleeding from his colon being perforated, which is fucking bananas. (sighs) Carlos was only in the jail for eight hours, and by by the time Benson got there, he had been dead for about five. So this is a very small window. In the jail interview area, Toots is interviewing our pal in the brown suit, top bunk. Mm -hmm. So he's sitting in a cell, like in a holding cell, talking to Toots. His Mm -hmm. name is Ortega. He can not be bothered. He has curls Mm -hmm. for days. And the Mm -hmm. button-up he's wearing is some kind of Austin Powers flash. He, like, took off his jacket to really show us the glory of this silk Mm -hmm. top he was wearing. I love him. Ortega says that he said hi to the Vic, Carlos Torres, when he got there, and that's it. Toots is like, you've had three domestic violence calls in two weeks and you knifed your lover oh a knife 
Ortega fucking boings to the bars, grabs the bars, gets in Toot's face and says, the guy he stabbed hit him first. In like a weird demon voice. Yeah. He was <laughs> like, he... he hit me first. And I was like, whoa. And then immediately switched out of it and went, yeah. It was cute. Benson's hanging out waiting for Toots and they walk off together. Now we're in a Benson and Toots walk and talk. Toots says that Ortega claims Carlos wanted nothing to do with him because he's gay. Mm-hmm. He also thinks that Carlos was assaulted because he's Dominican. And Benson asks if this is the quote Mexicans against Dominicans. And Toots is like, well, it's easier to get got on the inside because there's nowhere to run. Right. And I'm like, ooh, is there an outside beef coming? I doubt it. But this mm-hmm. is like their first speculation. Right. <laughs> I doubt it. Now, Toots, Benny, and the jail warden are doing a little walk and talk. Mm-hmm. Toots tells the warden that Mexicans transport the drugs and the Dominicans distribute. The warden is played by actor Chad L. Coleman. Okay. He was Cuddy in The Wire. Okay. But he was also Z in Always Sunny. Do you remember him? Z. Oh my God, he was the guy who was like, he would wear a beater and he was friends with Frank and uh, they hung out under the bridge. And he like, he met Dee and he just like walked by her and he's like, ooh, you're pregnant. <laughs> he was just like, what? He was so great. I, I loved him. He popped up a handful of times throughout, but he was a consistent character, friend of Frank's. Like they'd be like throwing a weird birthday party for Charlie and Z would be there. <laughs> I, I like totally don't remember him at all. It's oh my weird. God. If you Google Z and Always Sunny, you'll know exactly who I'm talking about. Okay. This guy also had great roles in a ton of other series. Electric City, I Hate My Teenage Daughter. He's Ty in The Walking Dead. Ty? Like one of the main dudes. Who is this person? I worked on this forever because with a beard, he looks so different. And I'm like, am I thinking of the right guy? But anyway, he's in a bunch of other stuff. And he also comes back to SVU in 2015. Oh, oh, yeah. Did you look up Z? Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Ty in Walking Dead. I know this fucking guy. Okay. Oh, yeah. I love Ty. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. And then when he... Oh, my God. I remember that character. The warden starts telling Toots and Benny how they handle the whole Mexican and Dominican separation thing at the jail. He says there's Mm -hmm. no way that any Mexican prisoners had access to Carlos based on the logistics of, like, how they do things. And Torres didn't leave his cell except for the fact that he went to the infirmary before he was locked down. And then Mm -hmm. the warden immediately is like, oops, looks like there was a Mexican prisoner named Hector Ramirez who was in for murder who was... Was also in the infirmary when Carlos was there. Yeah, it, it over, they overlapped. Yeah. He's like, well, geez, I didn't. Like, there's flaws in our system or something? <laughs> <laughs> So the warden gets on the phone to have somebody bring Ramirez to a holding cell so they can talk to him. Mm-hmm. Now in the holding cell, Benny and Toots are interviewing Ramirez. He's sitting in a chair wearing an all-black Canadian tuxedo. He's got a big mm-hmm. scar on his face and would mm-hmm. scare the shit out of me in person. <laughs> yeah. And I was also kind of like, I'm attracted yeah. to you. I know. <laughs> you know. I know. <laughs> Did you know that for me or for you as well? For me as well. Okay, good. <laughs> okay, good. But I'm good. just like, I don't want to be attracted to you because you're scary, but you know what's attractive? Scary. <laughs> How'd you tell me how you got that scar? Can I touch it? He's like, sup, bacon, and I fell in love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Benson starts questioning this little sassy Ramirez. He's like, I know Carlos is dead, but I didn't fucking do it. And Benny's like, oh, you think this is funny? And he's all slouched back in his chair and he goes, yeah, puerca, a laugh a minute. And so I'm just like, I don't know what that means. Google, Google, Google. It means sow, like female pig. Yeah, I figured it meant pig because she's a cop. 
So Benson's like, dude, you forced your way into the infirmary. It's easy for you to get access to him. You didn't even need to go to the infirmary. So why were you there? Obviously, you were there to fuck with him. But he sticks to what he was saying and was like, dude, my teeth were hurting. I went in there. I didn't even know that fucker was going to be in the infirmary. Mm -hmm. They press him, though, because he's got a history of sexually assaulting other inmates. And Ramirez Mm -hmm. is like, dude, I went down to get next to that sweet, sweet nurse. Okay, I don't have a legit medical issue, but we don't see ladies. Okay. And he's going to be doing a long stint. Right. His story is he just happened to be in there and he had nothing to do with anything. Mm-hmm. When Benny asked Ramirez why he thinks the nurse would even talk to him, he's like, if she had been alone, I'd make her do more than just talk. And then he's like, <laughs> licks his oh, lips. Yuck. I didn't like him anymore after that. <laughs> I Same. When he was like, I was like, wow. Yeah, ew. Benson and Toots are doing a walk and talk with the infirmary nurse. She knew right away that he was lying. He didn't have any swelling in his teeth or redness or any abscesses or anything. The nurse tells them that Ramirez was never left alone with Carlos because he, quote, spent the whole time harassing me. Mm-hmm. Benson asked the nurse what was wrong with Carlos, but she didn't know. He went to the infirmary because he was vomiting and had a fever, so she gave him some Pepto, but she had no idea the extent of his injuries. An intake guard named Nathan Duarte escorted Carlos to the infirmary. Nathan seemed upset because Carlos was yelling a bunch of homophobic shit at him. Yeah, and Toots is like, prisoners are always talking trash to the guards, but the nurse said that another guard had just recently outed Duarte, so it hit different. Yeah. Do we need to give a PSA, don't fucking out people? We don't, right? Yeah, we don't, but we seems like we have to. Don't out people. Don't fucking out people. After Carlos was done at the infirmary, Duarte took Carlos to the showers and the nurse could hear him screaming the whole way because he didn't want Nathan to touch him. Mm. You know, now we're like, well, now Benson and Toots are doing a walk and talk with Nathan. I'm not going to say Duarte anymore, okay? Lots of walk and talks this episode. Yeah. You don't have to say Duarte anymore. Toots tells Nate Nate that he... Toots tells Nathan that he heard he had beef with Torres. Duarte lets us know that he's a real cop by saying, no more than any other hump coming through. There's so many humps in this. I hope you clocked him. So much hump talk. Toots keeps pressing, though. Nathan says he's been called worse by his, quote, lesser evolved co-workers, and they're walking to the locker room. Benson asks if Nathan escorted Carlos to the showers after they left the infirmary. He says yes, because Carlos had puked all over himself after they left the nurse. And then Toots is like, well, was anybody in the shower when you got there? And then Nathan's kind of quiet and he's like, no, why? He gets upset. He's like, oh, you think I'm the, quote, expert on sodomy because I'm gay and that I did it because I'm gay, you know? Mm -hmm. And Benson's like, no, it's really actually because you were the last one to have access to the victim. And he's just like, I didn't touch that little fucking creep. Yeah. I showered him and took him to his cell. And then Nate says he went straight home after midnight. Benson asks if anyone can vouch for him being home and that makes Nate pause and he's like... Okay, Chris Hartford. He's a legal aid attorney. Benson and Toots are at Chris Hartford's apartment. They're knocking on the door. You can hear a baby crying in the background, and a woman's voice says, Who is it? A blonde lady answers the door. She insists on seeing their badges again, because they sh- they showed them in the thing. Uh-huh. In the peephole. Yeah, and she's like, where do you guys work? They're SVU. And she's like, sex crimes? What the fuck's going on? They tell her that they're looking for Chris Hartford, and she says, why are you looking for my husband? And we were like, ooh. She calls out to him, and he comes over holding a baby that's crying, and then Benson asks, 
to speak to him privately. And she's like, what is this about? And they say, oh, um, Nathan Duarte, which makes Chris be like, uh, and he gives the baby to the wife and says it's client privilege. Out in the hallway, Chris asks how much trouble Nathan is in. And they tell him that it's not about that. They just want to confirm where he was Mm -hmm. the night before. And then Chris is like, okay, um, you know, we only get together when my wife is out of town. It's no, it's not like a regular thing. And Benson's like, we don't give a shit. It's fine. We just need a time frame. Right. And then Chris confirms that they were together from like 1 a.m. to 6 a.m. And then Toots is like, go back to your family and things in which I thought was weird. Yeah, I don't love the cheating, but I do appreciate them not blowing up his down low spot. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's not their business and that's not what they're there for. P.S. Mm-hmm. Stabler would have. Yes. Let's keep going. Like, <laughs> let's there... not forget who Stabler is at the end of the day and the right. shit that he pulls on on company time. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, there's been a couple of episodes. I mean, there was one with like a boat, right? And the guy's like, I don't have time to talk. And he's like, well, we'll talk about who you're fuck. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, right. okay. Yeah. It's, he loves a good outing. Yeah. A good Sunday outing. A good, I'm not talking about a carriage ride. <laughs> what? In the Emmy office, Benson asked Corner Warner if she's almost done with the autopsy. She isn't. <laughs> She's not, but she recovered wooden splinters from Carlos's rectum. Mm. Corner Warner says the object was forced into him so hard that it put a fucking hole in his colon. That is insane. They're trying to break down the timeline based on Corner Warner's findings, right? So there's a chance that the injury didn't even happen at the jail. Apparently, a guard at the jail said that Carlos was throwing up when he got there. Don't! I'm trying to get through it. Apparently! Corner Warner said that she found evidence of peritonitis, which explains the vomiting and fever. And Benson says that he must have been sexually assaulted at the precinct by a cop before being transferred based on everything that they've found so far. Right. Benson and Craig and there's so many walk and talks. So many. Benson, Craig and Toots are doing a little walk and talk. They're just humping around. <laughs> Craig wants to be sure the purpose of cop and wonders if their injuries happened before Carlos got to the precinct. Benson goes over the timeline with Cragen. Carlos was arrested at 8, got to the jail around 12, which is a huge fucking whatever, saw the nurse, then never woke up. Benson tells daddy who the arresting officers are. I don't know why. <laughs> I I put daddy in there with a Y after the daddy. Daddy. Les Cooper and Randall Grant. They're the arresting officers. Mm-hmm. Cragen is going to have their jackets pulled. And has Benson and Toots go speak with their bosses, John Royce. Yeah, their commanding officer. At the 29th precinct, Benny and Toots are chatting with John Royce. This Mr. Clean and some blues-ass dude is actor Gene Canfield. We OG saw him in the episode Baby Killer. He'll be back again in 2004 as well. His credits, The Sopranos, Meet Joe Black, a bunch of stuff with Al Pacino, and a 1991 film that caught my eye called The Boy Who Cried Bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Is that real? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So caught my little eye. So in this scene, Toots is suspicious that Carlos's booking took three and a half hours. Remember, he was arrested at eight and then didn't even get in until fucking 12. Royce thought that it was NBD and it could have taken longer because Carlos was resisting arrest. He assaulted an officer by hitting him in the head, which was um, Officer Luke Edmonds, mm-hmm. who is now out on medical for the rest of the week. Benson asks about Les Cooper and Randall Grant, the arresting officers. Royce mm-hmm. says that Grant's a rookie, so he doesn't know much on his style yet. But Cooper gets the job done, but is a little free with his hands. Mm-hmm. Toots responds, yeah, <laughs> thanks. 
<laughs> so Toots's response can mean two things. I think he's kind of fishing a little bit and mm-hmm. says, yeah, sometimes you got to flex on the players to get their attention. But Royce doesn't bite and says, not in my precinct. Call me Daddy Royce. Mm-hmm. He's the Kragen of the 2-9. <laughs> Yeah. He tells them that the officers haven't been pulled. They're out on patrol. So Benny and Toots have to go find them. Benny and Toots walk up on Officer Grant and Cooper getting coffees on the mm-hmm. street. Holy fucking shit. Blonde eyebrow Officer Cooper is played by Terry Serpico. We first saw him in the episode Closure as Ron Johnson. He plays a couple of other characters until he comes on in 2021 as Chief Tommy McGrath as a series regular. He's also done some mage series acting roles. Cousin yeah. Eddie and Rescue Me, Frank Sherwood and Army Wives. Hopper and Sneaky Pete. He was in The Inspectors. On and on. Not to leave out a couple spots on Oz and a small role in The Departed. Benson asks them about Carlos. Cooper kind of chuckles and he's like, shocking when a drug dealing gangbanger shows up dead, huh? Mm. (laughs) Yeah, he's real smug too. Yeah, he's a little bitch. So Toots asks about their possible prior run-ins with Carlos. Grant's like, yeah, we arrested Carlos maybe three to four times in the past month and he was made a Teflon. The judge even dismissed one of the arrests they made on him as an illegal search because the crack he had on him was hidden in his mouth. Grant's getting a little worked up about it because he's like, you guys, this is who this guy is and Cooper jumps in and he's like our most recent arrest was by the book okay so the night of his Mm -hmm. arrest there was a big fight outside of club rendezvous and Carlos was there in the fight Grant Mm -hmm. jumps in and says but once he took a swing at officer Edwards that was it Benson asks if they made any stops like did you guys stop to fuck him up for hitting a cop Mm-hmm. Cooper says that they didn't have time to tune him up and goes over the timeline and ends with telling them that the club that they're at is a real problem. Wink. Yeah, I don't trust these dudes, especially the blonde one. I don't trust anybody with blonde eyebrows. Sorry. <laughs> at Club Rendezvous, Toots and Benny are interviewing the bartender. Oh my God. I just love this guy. I know. They ask him if Dominicans and Mexicans ever fight in the club and the bartender says it doesn't happen inside. Even a gangster needs a safe place to take his woman. Ew, but anyway, I still love you. Mm. The detectives show the bartender a picture of Carlos and he remembers him. He's like, yeah, he was here that night with his girl. They were celebrating because she was pregnant. I remember because she asked for milk, but I don't serve it because this (laughs) isn't snack time at a fucking preschool. (laughs) What a weird thing to ask for. Or at a bar. Like, not a soda or a water milk. Yeah. So when first he's like, I remember him, I'm like, bullshit. And he's like, no, 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 no. Hold on. She ordered milk. Okay. And they're like, oh, And okay. then we're like, yeah. oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Benson asks if the bartender saw Carlos go outside. And he says, not until the uniforms came in here and got him right before the what? street fight started. Oh, so the cops did not come up on him fighting. They pulled him mm-hmm. outside before shit even popped off. So, mm-hmm. lies. Yeah. Okay. In Craigan's office, Benny and Toots are going over the fight night and arrest with Daddy Craig's. Mm-hmm. Benny thinks that Cooper and Grant had reason to want to hurt Carlos because Carlos's charges kept getting dropped, but things oh went too far. What? And then fucking Toots says, quote, so why not just whip his ass instead of tapping it? And I was like, holy no. fuck. This yeah. person was raped brutally. My note on that was, OMG Toots, I hate that. Don't. <laughs> Mine in, in the bracket says Jesus. <laughs> One exclamation point. What mm. a hump. <laughs> 
Craigan wants to know what the evidence supports. Just the facts, please. Benny says that there wasn't time for Cooper and Grant to assault Carlos before his arrest and that the assault had to happen in the precinct, but they still have to figure out how it happened with no witnesses. Craigan mm-hmm. says some pretty gross cop shit and he goes, we've all done time in a uniform. A cop gets hurt by a perp shrug. You get a free shot. Fucking dumb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Basically saying if anybody did see Carlos being assaulted, they wouldn't talk about it. It's an agreement. They all know. Yeah. Bullshit. Craigan wonders if Officer Edmonds, who went to the hospital for getting hit in the head by Carlos, went back to the precinct to, quote, teach Carlos a lesson. By fucking raping him? I know. What is that? Benny's going to go interview Edmonds, and Toots is going to calm the 2-9 with CSU for any evidence, starting with any space that could be considered private, like a sector car, interrogation room, or a bathroom. Over at the 29th precinct, Benny's speaking with Edmonds, who's got a huge wound from getting face spanked by Carlos. Mm-hmm. Oh, fucking Edmonds is actor William Mapather. Super duper recognizable. He played yeah. Dr. Ethan Rom slash Goodspeed in Lost. So Benson tells Officer Edmonds that Carlos is dead and she needs some info from him about that night. And he's pushing back, but she stays super calm. Like, why are you so worked up, bro? Mm-hmm. And he's like, my head hurts. Sorry, let me clear your case. Mm. Yeah, she's like, dude, we both do the same job. Like, why are you whatever? And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, my head hurts. Oh, I'm in pain. But I get that you're yeah. just doing the job. The hump had it coming. Because uh, <laughs> he said that. He said hump. When Benson asks Edmonds what he thinks happened to Carlos, he says some cellmate in the tombs cornholed him. Jesus Christ. Wow. Benson asks him how he knew since it wasn't released. And Edmund says, well, cops talk. Okay, Beavis. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So this conversation then goes on to a pitch match. It doesn't really, but in my head, that's all I heard. Benson goes, well, the evidence tells us Carlos was injured during the booking, not at the jail. And Edmonds goes, hmm, I was at the hospital, so I don't know. And Benny mm-hmm. goes, um, yeah, but then what? And Edmonds goes, I went home. And Benny's like, hmm, well, the desk sergeant said that they saw you come back to the precinct to get something out of your locker. And Edmonds goes, for a quick sec, but then I went home. (laughs) (laughs) Then a bunch of dogs ran in. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Yeah, they're like, did you call us? us?" (laughs) All of a sudden, Toots opens the door and leans in and gives Benny a look like, bitch. And I found it adorable and hilarious. Mm-hmm. Benny gets up and just leaves Edmonds in the interrogation room and says, you better call your PBA rep. Mm-hmm. So we're back in the 2-9 precinct. Toots and Benson are in a bathroom. They got that fucking, that UV black light thingy looking for blood. Mm-hmm. They fucking find a plunger and the handle has, a t- it's like glowing. Uh, yeah. Benson's like, oh. <gasps> Looks like we found the murder weapon. She completely did do that. She gasped. Just yeah. She, <gasps> looks like we found the murder weapon. But Toot says they still need to test it. That blood could be from anyone. What? Okay. I spelled out O, separate word, M, separate word, G. <laughs> yeah. God. What in the fuck? Okay. Mm-hmm. In the fucking precinct, Royce, Toots, and Cragen are in daddy Cragen's office royce says edmund's made his confession and that he wants to make a deal what 
That was me. Uh, yeah. Two says the public won't fucking go for a deal, of course. And Roy says the brass wants the case to be quick and quiet. Benson asks what's going to be done about the fucking accomplices. Carlos and Edmonds weren't alone in the bathroom. Roy says that Edmonds says he didn't have any accomplices and that he knows if he cooperates, he gets leniency. And then Toots says... Edmonds doesn't deserve leniency. But Cragen says deals get made all the time with perps. Benson says cops should be held to a higher standard. And I was like, fuck yes, dude. Yes, 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 yes. Royce tells him that the DA has already been notified. So it's fucking pretty much too late. Cabot, Edmonds. I'm going to edit it out. But we're now going to have five minutes of guttural screaming before we start this scene. Okay? Um... And we're back. (laughs) Cabot Edmonds and his lawyer are in a meeting in the jail. Cabot tells the lawyer that Edmonds could be charged for depraved indifference and could result in a sentence of 25 to life. And good luck in prison as a cop, dude. Exactly. The lawyer tries to fucking act like this was all okay because Carlos was, quote, a depraved gangbanger. And he wants to negotiate with Cabot asking for second degree manslaughter with an eight to ten sentence. I'm sorry. No. Sorry, bro, but you clearly don't know Cabot. First of all, you Jack McBrayer looking motherfucker. She doesn't give a shit about your justifications. That has nothing to do with the facts of the crime. Yes. Nothing. Cabot counters second degree murder, 12 to 25 years. It's a one time offer. The lawyer says that that's not reasonable. And I'm just like, are you fucking this guy? Okay. And then Mm. Cabot lays it out. Edmonds fucking sodomized someone so violently that they bled to death she's not going to offer a sentence less than anything in the double digits like fuck are you insane because he mm-hmm. was in a gang he doesn't his light oh my god okay the lawyer says man to 10 to 20 and cabot's like fine and then leaves on the other side of the glass in Kragen's cocoon hold on <laughs> <laughs> behind the glass in Kragen's cocoon well he will soon break free and dry his little wings and fly off as a beautiful butterfly good for you craggin imagine it imagine his head on a little butterfly oh my god he's dangling from a little milkweed leaf his face is all surly but is so colorful and he deserves this craggin doesn't like the agreement cab is like do you think i'm having a good time does it seem like i'm having a good fucking time bro but their fucking bosses want this to just go away Uh, of course yeah i I can't okay benson is still convinced that there's no way edmonds didn't have accomplices but craigan says there isn't any proof that he didn't act alone benson says that there's no way carlos didn't put up a fight to keep edmonds from assaulting him he would have been kicking and screaming carlos had to have been held down cabot tells them that if evidence can be found that carlos was held down and edmonds had help the deal will be void Craigan kind of whispers to Benson that he has his orders and the case is officially closed. There's a lot of winking happening here. Yeah. Benson's like, and unofficially? Craigan says, work fast and stay under the radar. Benson (gasps) walks off, leaving Craigan looking worried but gorgeous with his new wings. (laughs) (laughs) I love when Daddy Craigs does the right thing and lets Benny follow her gut. Mm -hmm. Like, the brass would have his ass for this. Yeah, although she immediately fucked it up, but okay. Yes, she did. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> she was like, <laughs> like, don't go anywhere near the 2-9. And she's like, I'm going straight to the 2-9. <laughs> Benson and Toots are in the Emmy office 
Coroner Warner has just finished the autopsy on Carlos. Coroner Warner says that there had to have been at least two perps. Carlos had bruising in his hands and knees that are consistent with the tile patterns in the precinct bathroom, as well as a long cylindrical bruise across his shoulders that indicate he was held down by force. Benson thinks that he was held down with maybe a nightstick. This is also my first time that I've seen Coroner Warner like just rolling around this body. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, yeah. Isn't there like rigor and stuff? He was just flopping the, around. It was really weird. Rigor only lasts a certain amount of time. And then you're floppy again. Oh. Corner Warner says that Carlos had to have been held down by someone who was using all of their weight so he couldn't fight back. Benson wants to get Edmund's phone records to see if there is any evidence that leads them to who he is covering for. In the precinct, Benson is going through Edmund's phone records with Toots and Craigan. There were 55 fucking phone calls between Edmunds and Cooper in three days. Was this before texting? Um, I don't know. Yeah. Damn. That's a lot of calls. Do, I don't... Ugh. If you called me, let's break it up. Okay, 55 calls across three days. That is nearly 20 calls a day. I would block your number by the end of day one. <laughs> I would be like, I need a break from you right now. <laughs> or can't you figure out your story in less than 18 calls a day? Yeah, I have like two kind of long conversations. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I... Okay. Or like a vet, if you would have ca- on the twelfth call, I'd be like, "Can we just go meet somewhere? Do you want to go to a coffee shop?" The twelfth, more like the third, dude. We don't. This is yeah. twenty twenty two. I don't like nobody answers their phone. Yeah, but I'm talking about like if we were trying to get our stories straight for a murder and like a really depraved, fucked up thing that we did. I would give you to the twelfth call. Toots thinks all the calls are them trying to get their story straight, and then Craigan's like, "Well, phone calls aren't evidence that would put Cooper in the bathroom." Benson agrees and says that trace evidence of Cooper's DNA could be linked to the arrest. And then Toots says Cooper and Edmonds were together other times at the scene. Craigan's like, fucking stay away from the 2-9. We don't want the brass to find out you guys are still digging. Mm-hmm. It's got to be on the DL, you guys. <laughs> it's got to be on the DL. <laughs> I'm so 40. Um, <laughs> Craigan tells him to focus on Edmonds and to dig into his life and find the connection to Cooper. Toots looks at the phone records and says Edmund's last call was to a landline at Stephanie Grayson's residence. Okay, a landline is a phone that is connected <laughs> to your house. We used to sign into the internet with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Benson wonders if that's his girlfriend's house. And then Toots says, as much as he's paying in cell phone bills, she better be. Okay. What the fuck? Okay. Craigan wants to know how close Edmonds and Stephanie Grayson are because pillow talk is admissible. I hate that term. <laughs> pillow talk. Ew. <laughs> so now Benny and Toots are in Stephanie Grayson's kitchen. It's Amy Landecker. She was Sarah in Transparent, one of the daughters. Mm-hmm. And she was also in a million other things. She comes back to SVU in 2005. Very recognizable face. She knows Edmonds was arrested, but doesn't know why. Benson wants to know how long Stephanie has known him. And she says she met him at the hospital when Edmonds' brother overdosed a while back. She's a nurse. Mm-hmm. She said the OD was super hard for him because he basically raised his brother after their parents died. Mm-hmm. You could make a Disney movie out of that story, right. by the way. Dead parents equals cartoon classic. When Toots asks her if they talked about that. Like, is Edmonds actually Batman? Is that what you're trying to say? (laughs) When Toots asks her if she met any of his friends, she's like, a few, why? OMG, pause. I bet he's covering for somebody, some shitty, terrible, more awful cop. Mm -hmm. This is when you realized that? This was my, yeah. (laughs) When did you realize it? I mean, the second we saw fucking blonde brows. (laughs) 
<laughs> I get, yeah, Blonde Brows was like, you're coming back. You're a villain. Just his blonde brows audition for villain roles. His, his headshot, headshot is just a close up yeah, of his head. I would say the exact same thing. <laughs> Hi, gay. Uh, I feel like we just did that. <laughs> Uh, Hi, gay. Okay, Benson asks her if it's possible that Edmonds is covering for any of his friends and Stephanie leaves the kitchen and I say, I'm right. <laughs> Benson says that they may need to go to the precinct in order to get a formal statement from Stephanie. And Stephanie turns around and sits down saying, this is about the drug dealer, isn't it? Benson goes, you're going to need to be more specific. Yeah, he's a cop. Like, he's seen a few. He's right. He's run into a few drug dealers. This is when Stephanie gets uncomfortable and says the dealer's name was Vasquez, that Edmonds was hot for him. <laughs> and he thought that Vasquez was moving too much weight and slipping through the system. She's just getting like a boner yeah. about this. Toots is like, so Edmonds hates drug dealers. And she's like, yeah, with a passion. Because of her, his brother. Edmonds was tailing Vasquez and busted him with a gram and then shot Vasquez when he pulled out a knife because it was all he could do. Mm -hmm. I don't know why you're vigilante following these fucking guys around, but okay. Yeah. Stephanie says Edmonds was really messed up about it for a while until she gave him a different perspective. Uh -huh. And Toots asks what her take is. She goes... Ugh. He's a bad guy, a drug dealer, for God's sake. Luke was saving someone else's kid brother. I love that term, kid brother, kid sister. I call Ketter that sometimes. I'm like, this is my kid sister, Ketter. I Aww. just like it. It's cute. I just like it. She's talking about his brother's overdose and how he was like saving somebody else's kid brother. What was that? Um, kid was sister. That yeah. Kid sister. Yeah, that was like that. I used to have one. Of course you did. I had a pillow with knots tied in the corner and a face drawn on it. <laughs> Ever tell you I grew up poor? <laughs> Is that true? The pillowcase thing? Yeah. No. Oh. But I didn't. I really wanted one of those kid sisters and I just it just like wasn't in the cards for me. All right. On the street, Toots gets off the phone, tells Benson that Stephanie didn't make the story up. So Javier Vasquez died two months ago, but not from a fucking gunshot like Stephanie said. His throat was slashed. His body was found in the center of the 2-9 precinct's jurisdiction. The body had the same evidence of a cylindrical bruise around the neck. Benson's like, that's a fucking chokehold, dude. Benson thinks that if they can find a pattern with other drug dealers to Edmonds and Cooper, it will prove that they work together and the jury may believe that Cooper was the accomplice to Carlos's murder. Moida. So Toot says he's going to check with Corner Warner to see if she has any files that have similar evidence and Benson tosses the car keys to him and says that she's going to meet him back at the squad. The toss was so little and cute. Like, hey buddy, this is to ease us in, but eventually we're going to do this over the length of a Thunderbird without warning, so get ready. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> I'll be the one sliding over the hood. Thank you. Thank you. Now we're at the fucking two nine. Benson walks mm -mm. in and goes up to the desk. Like, didn't Craig and tell her specifically not to go there? Yeah. She's like, here's the car keys. I'm going to go somewhere. I'm not going to tell you where I'm going, but it's fine. And everybody thinks it's fine that I'm going there. Boom. At the two nine. She walks oh. up to the fucking desk sergeant, who is a Tom Sizemore, Quentin Tarantino mashup. Yes. And he sarcastically... <laughs> And he sarcastically asks, what can I do for you, detective? Mm. Benson asks to look at the duty roster, and he's like, why? Since the case is closed and Edmund's in custody, you don't need it. And she says, listen, you hump. I'm working on another case, and I'm not at liberty to discuss it. So I need to see the logbooks from two months ago. 
And he's like, you got to come back with authorization. And she fucking leans in hard and she's so Mm -hmm. scary and I love it. Get it straight, Sergeant. I don't work for you. I'm working on an open homicide investigation and I'd like to check my facts before I pass it along. And he Mm -hmm. fucking wraps his tail over his little taint and gets the book and asks Benson what she's looking (laughs) for. <laughs> He's, the best is how he got the book though he fucking doesn't break eye contact with her stares at her but in like a sad pup way sidesteps fucking an inch and a half picks up the book and then sidesteps again he doesn't even step out of frame he could just like slide it over <laughs> it so good no the whole time he's like grabbing the book he has those little like tight butthole lips <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. Woody harrelson angry lips you know <laughs> Look at what I just sent you. So she's talking to this guy and he's all sassy. Oh, the way he turns the page, <laughs> licks his finger. Mm, yeah. I took a still shot of it too, but it just didn't have the same effect as watching the whole thing. Is he not Quentin Tarantino and Tom Sizemore though? Look at the stills. <laughs> that, was good. that was good. I'm going to post it. I'm going to post it. Yeah. We know. Benson asks what sector car responded when Vasquez was killed. Mm-hmm. And the cop says that Edmonds and Cooper were partnered in the car that had responded to that call. And Benson goes, oh, how often did they ride together? He's like, oh, all the time. Cooper became Grant's training officer the month between the two murders. So does that help? <laughs> She's like, thanks, idiot, and leaves. You know he's immediately like texting, oh my God, those detectives were here again. Yeah. At Cooper's house, Benson walks up to Cooper's car. It's a Mercedes S500. He's backing out of the driveway and she's like, sweet ride, bruh. <laughs> does a little like surfer thing he's like what do you want and he's like walking to the garage to close it like he can afford a s500 but does can't get a automatic garage door thing installed no i know i noticed that too i noticed the uh the condition of the garage door right she's walking with him to the garage for him to close it and she's like oh my god you have a corvette in there (laughs) you must work a lot of overtime cooper's like give it a rest but she wants to talk about Edmonds. He says there's nothing to talk about. Edmonds is guilty and he pled out. She says she wants to make sure it sticks. And he's like, why wouldn't it? She tells him that she dug into Edmonds' background and brings up the story Stephanie told them about the Vasquez murder. And she asked Cooper why Vasquez's throat was slashed. Okay, this is bullshit, by the way. Mm-hmm. It was such bullshit. He says that some street gang dude just walking around... <laughs> Like, street gang dude was angry with Vasquez. And when they got there, Vasquez was carved up like a turkey. Bullshit. Benson asked if Edmonds played up the story to look like a hero and get laid. And then Cooper calls Stephanie a, quote, badge bunny. He says stories like that get her all juiced up. You know what I'm saying? And Benson steps closer to him and says, if I find out you're a murdering bastard, I'm going to nail your ass. You know what I'm saying? And walks off. And I was like, I love her so much. I was like, fucking boner city population me. That was amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Come on in. Do you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. In the precinct, Toots tells Benson that he fucking knows she went to the 2-9. Benson tells him that she didn't tell him because she was trying to cover his ass by going alone. He's like, I would have backed you up. And that was like a cute little display of friendship. Right. I think his feelings were like a little bit hurt where he's like, you could have taken me. Yeah. And she's like, I know you would. And that's why I went alone. And I was like, oh. He's like, do you want to practice our key toss later? (laughs) Yeah. So a detective from fraud is waiting on them. Benson had requested a look at Cooper's financial situation because it to her, it looked like he's living above his means. Cut to the fraud detective confirming that Edmund's financial report has no red flags, but Cooper's does. All of Cooper's assets are in his wife's name, even though his wife doesn't work. What? 
Hmm? Toots wants to know how this slipped past IAB. On his taxes, it says he won money in gambling, which could explain how he got all the shit on a fucking cop's bullshit salary. So the fraud detective says that they can go to the casinos and confirm the winnings, but anything over 2500 has to be reported. So if the IRS has to get these reports and this guy won enough money to be able to buy these expensive cars, that will be on record. Yeah, but they don't have a lot of time. Where's Munch? Because he probably already did that. Yeah, he solved the case like two episodes ago. He's just waiting for them to show off to everybody. Um, he's like, I've been waiting here this whole time. I've been sewing these tiny suits to match mine for the rats in my house. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> cute. Little, yeah. Little Darkwing Duck hats. Um, Benson says Edmonds may not even know what Cooper was up to. And the fraud detective says it's statistically unlikely that Cooper's wife won so much money so often mm-hmm. and asks if Benson and Toots know where the money really comes from. Benson says, I think it's payment for dead bodies. She's so fucking badass. In the, I mean, she's badass in every episode, but she doesn't yeah. let a lean back or lean in fucking bangers. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Now we're... In the SVU precinct again, Cabot walks in asking what the fuck couldn't wait until the morning in a periwinkle turtleneck. Did you notice that? (laughs) I have never seen this bitch in a turtleneck. Mm. Or a color for that matter. Yeah. Those must be her street clothes. (laughs) I don't know. Benson tells her that she needs a wiretap on Cooper because they think he got paid to murder Carlos and Vasquez because he's got too much money flowing in. I've had too much coffee. Okay. I'm going to put this. I'm going to put the. I'm going to drink a little bit more. Okay. Cabot asks about Edmonds and Benson says drug dealers killed his kid brother. Edmonds was in it for revenge. Cooper is in it for the money, but they don't know who Cooper works for. Cabot says if she's going to wake up a judge and ask for a wiretap, she needs more than just a theory to go off of. I'm sitting here going, she better not have to call fucking Petrovsky because she is on a tightrope with her as it is. Mm-hmm. She needs solid evidence. How many times does she have to say this in an episode? Cabot accuses Benson of being, quote, on a crusade to get Cooper. And then Benson's like, you're fucking damn right I am. He's a murderer. How many bodies do you think he racked up to get that new Mercedes? Which I looked up. And the mm-hmm. base model S500 in 2003 started at $81,000, 2003 money. That's a mm-hmm. base model. That's not even okay. like fully loaded. Fully loaded would be like 100 Yeah. So. Cabot says... That's a good question. And jiggles her turtleneck. In the ME office, Coroner Warner hands Toots and Benson files saying there are five open cases that have corresponding signatures to the victim and all had deep bruising on the throat. And then Toots is like, all of these fucking murder victims were drug dealers. And they were all found in the 29th precinct jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. They all have the same shit going on with the cylindrical bruising on the throat. Benson tells Coroner Warner that Edmonds wanted revenge and Cooper was in it for the money. Toots asked Coroner Warner if anyone else was asking for the files. She says that Chief of Homicide, 29, uh-huh. called saying some detectives would be in to get the files. And then Toots is like, hey, um, I think your little visit to the 2-9 got up to the bosses. Mm-hmm. But Benson's like, well, I wonder what they'll fucking think about a cop killing drug dealers for money. Now we're in Cabot's office. Benny's telling Cabot that she needs to vacate from Edmund's deal and that he's guilty of multiple homicides. Also, Cooper is guilty for accepting pay for murders. And Cabot's like, okay, I need some hotter tea than this. Okay, you bitch. <laughs> Benny and T- I love that. Benny and Toots tell her that the cops were going to pull their shit after dragging Carlos out of the club. But when the street mm-hmm. brawl started, they had to bring him in to not rouse suspicion, right? So they get him to the precinct 
take him to the bathroom and then fuck him up. Cabot asks why they would have assaulted him and not killed him. And Benson thinks they were trying to plant evidence for the jail guards to find drugs during his booking search to get him additional charges and add 10 years to a sentence. They go on to say that they think the plunger was used after Carlos hurt Edmonds while they were trying to plant drugs on him. But Cabot's like, well, where's the fucking evidence, you guys? Benny links all five of the dead drug dealers with patterns in the cases. And Cabot's like, and gets on the phone to see if Edmonds is up for a renegosh. Mm-hmm. At Rikers Island, Cabot, Benny, Toots, and Edmonds, and Edmonds' lawyer are sitting at a table. Mm-hmm. Cabot lets them know that the deal's off. And she's willing to make an offer, but they have to give her an answer before she leaves. Or they'll never see her again. Yeah. Yeah. The flexes in this episode by these fucking bad bitches are perfection, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. The lawyer asks why the deal's off the table, and Benson slides a file of crime scene photos of the murders Edmonds committed, asking him if he recognizes any of them. Toots tells Edmonds that killing the drug dealers wasn't going to fill the hole he had or bring his brother back. Edmonds looks at Toots like, ugh. Fine. He says he didn't expect it to fill that hole and that he thought if he found who killed his brother, that would be enough. Apparently, hey, he did find the one that supplied his little brother with cocaine. OMG, his brother was 13, by the way. Wow. And killed him. But he didn't stop after that. Edmonds said that the drug dealers used their money to get good lawyers that could shaft the cops with their own rules. And he goes, how is that justice? Shaft the cops using their own rules? You mean the law? Yeah. (laughs) What are you yeah. talking about? How is yeah. that justice? That is... Okay, go ahead. They think that we should be held to the same standards. Can you believe it? Is that justice? Like, yes, but right. yeah, um, actually, that's actually, yeah. That's, that, is what ju- that is what justice is. Good job. Good yeah. job, Edmonds. And Toots is like, taking out the competition for profit isn't justice either. You dick. Mm-hmm. Edmonds gets confused now. And he's like, what are you fucking profit? What are you talking about? They let him know that Cooper was getting paid to kill these drug dealers. And Edmonds is like, he wouldn't do that. He would never cheat on me. And he <laughs> loves me. Who is he, Missy? Sorry, that was a couple. <laughs> was that last episode? No, it was no, two. Because yeah. it was, yeah, two episodes yeah. ago. So Cabot's just like, she doesn't care about like him being betrayed by his friend or whatever. She's, she's just like, anyway, six counts murder for hire and Edmonds is like I was cleaning up the streets not making money it wasn't murder it was a reckoning and this is when I go why the fuck wasn't this episode called reckoning yeah it was called rotten which applies but like he said reckoning so hard that I had to go back and look because I'm like this should be the title and I don't think it is I don't think they said the word rotten at all in this episode they didn't and that's the only way that you title anything Everybody knows that. The cops rotten? Wow. You're right. You're absolutely right. It should have been Thank you. reckoning. But 100%. I think it's like the one bad apple thing they were trying to say with the rotten, right? Is that a stretch? Mm, I don't know. Benson tells Edmonds to tell them exactly what happened. And he's like, I, I can't. Mm-hmm. And this is when we know he's going to get fucked up because whoa, the music just, whoa, here it comes. And Benny goes, your ex-partner's a dirty cop. You're not. What the fuck is going on? Except for he is. Except, yeah, he is. I wrote. Mm, but he is he's out there doing vigilantism like right. he's bad she's just trying to get him to talk though 100% and Cabot's like we need corroborating evidence from you in order to put Cooper behind bars and he needs to be behind bars mm-hmm. and that's when Edmund's lawyer jumps in and is like well you gotta take the needle off the table and she goes oh yeah for sure we won't kill you like help us out Edmonds is like well what do you want what can I give you she says I need a live victim I need somebody that can support your statements dude and he's like oh 
Okay. Willie Angels is in Sing Sing. Cooper shot him, but he didn't die, so they planted a gun on him. During the trial, Cooper and Edmonds testified that Angel opened fire on them, and the jury didn't even blink. This Mm. is fucked up. I know. And this dude... This dude is so fucked, okay? Edmonds is going to go to jail, right? And inmates are going to hate that he's a cop, so they'll put him in protective custody, which is basically isolation where he'll only have contact with guards. Other cops aren't going to like that he ratted out a fellow cop. He's fucked Uh no matter what, now that he's fucking turning. As Cabin and the detectives are leaving Rikers, they pass this guard. This has nothing to do with anything, but they pass this guard who I thought would have a line based on his body language, but just was hard rubbernecking as they passed by. It was a great moment in his career. I loved it. You were like waiting for him to be like, have a good day. Yeah, something. (laughs) Something. (laughs) Maybe he was supposed to, but then he was like, oh my God, it's a fucking... It's fucking Mariska Hargitay. So they're doing this walk and talk. They're leaving Rikers. Cabot tells them to call her right away if Willie Angel corroborates Edmund's story. Benson says Mm -hmm. Willie Angel is an innocent man in prison, but Toots argues that there's nothing innocent about a drug dealer who probably has dozens of bodies to his name and should stay in jail. If the story's Mm -hmm. true, Cabot will have to write a writ for release for Angel. They keep going back and forth, and Toots doesn't agree with Benson. He says it's just hard to watch humps play loopholes and get out of things. Right. And I jump into the conversation now and say, sorry, toots. It isn't a loophole if the charge isn't Isn't, what he's in there for. Like he's in there on a charge that he's innocent of. Right. And you don't want him to be let out. That's not how this works, dude. I get it that you're like, he's a bad guy. He should be in jail. A lot of bad people should be in jail. Brock Turner should be in prison. Right. My notes were how many times have they said hump in one episode? (laughs) (laughs) So far, it's only three. Oh, it is. Is it only three? So far, it gets set again. Cabot's like, yeah, but Toots, you wouldn't take the law into your own hands like Edmonds and Cooper did. And Toots is like, doesn't mean I haven't thought about it. Benson goes, there's a difference between thinking about doing it and actually doing it. Right. I don't know. I just, I, I think that Toots is upset about a bad guy getting out. He's not upset about these other cops being held responsible for their own actions, you know? Right, right. Like, this fucking Willie Angel dude, if he's such a bad guy, he could be in prison for other things. You know what I mean? Like, they, they'll have to just... Get him on another thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, in Sing Sing, Benson and Toots are talking to Willie Angel while he's doing physical therapy. They ask him about his version of what happened. Willie's played by Jose Pablo Cantillo. Total babe. Oh, my God. I was like, okay, this guy was in The Walking Dead, and I recognize him from Sons of Anarchy, and I also recognize him from just being hot. Yeah. He's he's a babe. Fucking babe. Yeah. So, Willie's in a wheelchair from being shot by Cooper. He doesn't trust Benson and Toots and asks, what's changed since no one believed him before. Benson's like, dude, we're not here to jam you up, you hump. <laughs> but then Toots gets an attitude. Toots is like, I don't fucking believe anything you say. You're a fucking drug dealer. Mm-hmm. Willie said, I've been out of the game since losing my fucking legs from getting shot by a goddamn cop. Benson shows Willie a photo array of police officers asking him to identify the cops that shot him. He points right to Cooper and Edmonds. He asks what happens next, and Benson tells him that there's a witness that can support his story. Willie asks if that means he's going to get out of jail, and Toots responds, looks like your lucky day, all shitty. And mm-hmm. Willie's like, yeah, I'm going to file a multi-million dollar lawsuit <laughs> against the city. Yeah. The fucking gravy is that you, bitch, Toots, will have to testify on my behalf. Fuck you. Bye-bye. <laughs> First of all, I wouldn't say any of that shit to cops until I am out. Right. In Rikers, Benson is in an interview room with Edmonds. Edmonds is pissed that Willie will get out of prison and be back on the streets. Benson's like, dude, Willie didn't deserve what you guys did to him. 
And he's like, it's one less drug dealer to worry about. And like, this isn't how this fucking works, dude. Benson asks him who had the idea to shoot Willie. And Edmund's like, it's Cooper's idea, but I went along with it. And then Benson's like, all right, you do the dirty work and Cooper gets paid. And then Edmund's is like, Cooper did pay me, but not with money. So love and friendship. What the fuck are you talking about? I know. So a few years ago, Cooper and Edmund's responded to a domestic dispute. And Cooper saved Edmund's from getting shot by grabbing a gun out of the perp's hand or whatever. Mm -hmm. and then benson's like so you're repaying cooper by killing people for him cooper did it for cars in a condo you're an idiot Mm -hmm. look at where you are right now benson moves closer to edmonds and tells him she's like hey testify huh you testify as cooper just testify Uh, i got an idea (laughs) wait go on man edmund obviously refuses and benson argues that cooper betrayed edmonds she's like you're the joey and he's the missy yeah okay hi Edmund's like, I'm not going to fucking testify against my partner. You wouldn't. And she's like, don't fucking throw that blue wall crap at me. I would fucking testify against my partner if I was in the same situation, which I love that she said that, even though she wouldn't. She wouldn't. She would not. She has, she has, Stabler has roughed up more fucking people and she's just like, Stabes, don't. There are so many broken chairs from Stabler kicking them (laughs) under fucking people. There are coffee cups all over the floor. (laughs) Benson says, Cooper used you and your dead brother. He doesn't give a damn about you. What are you going to grow some fucking balls and face that? And then Esmond just kind of like looks at the ground. Okay, now we're in Cragen's office. Daddy Cragen, he is not happy. Nope. He's like, you deliberately disobeyed my orders. (laughs) You deliberately disobeyed me. And she's like, I wanted to get out of the pride lands. I wanted to go to that shadowy place over there. Um, I thought an elephant graveyard would be cool. Uncle Scar told me. Okay, you get it. You get what I'm doing. (laughs) Who are these hyenas? (laughs) The way he said it. Deliberately deliberately disobeyed me. (laughs) Deliberately. (laughs) He's fucking writing her up and she's getting docked 10 days of pay. Getting spanked by Daddy Gregan. So the DA is fielding the writs from every hump. Did you just strain something? (laughs) You said hump and it sounded like it hurt a little bit. (laughs) Hump. The DA is fielding the writs from every hump that Cooper and Edmonds put in jail, and they'll all get a pass, even if they are guilty. Cragen's mad that Benson didn't keep him in the Louvre because they got fucking blindsided. There's going to be press scrutiny, millions of dollars worth of civil suits, and criminals walking free. Benson's like, I did the right thing. And you can see Cragen being like, oh, I fucking know you did, but Cragen tells her to go get Cooper and to get that bastard off the streets. Benny and Toots are outside the 2-9. Cooper pulls up in a squad car and gets out and Benny's really close to him and tells him he's under arrest for first degree murder and fucking puts him in bracelets. <laughs> right, Grant? He's gonna get taken to the house. <laughs> yeah, right, Grant? Benny takes his gun, hands it to Toots, and they put Cooper in the back of the cop car. Grant's saying that he didn't do anything. <laughs> What's going Why are you on? taking him? He didn't do anything. I love him. <laughs> Toots is like, honey, you need to get a lawyer, Okay. So then Royce grabs Grant by the arm, drags him into the precinct as fucking Cooper's taken off with Benny and Toots. Cooper and his lawyer, fucking Trevor Langan, are across from Cabot now in the DA's office. Remember that Trevor and Cabot are a thing right now. Okay, lawyer Trevor. That's right. Cabot wants to know who Cooper was working for and will give him life with no parole. She's offering the rest of his life in prison without the possibility of parole for him to cooperate. That's the best she can do for him. Right. Cooper's like, well, um, I'm not going to tell and I may as well fucking kill myself if I do. So save them the trouble. Yeah. 
Cap, it's like, dude, your cooperation is the only thing that stands between you and the death penalty. Cooper's blonde eyebrows are like, I guess we're going to take our chance with the jury. Come on. They're like begging him to just be reasonable. Like, you're fucked, dude. And Benny's like, we have corroborating witnesses, okay? That badge bunny, Stephanie. And fucking Edmonds is turning on you now, bro. Uh Edmonds is going to get life and you're going to get life with no parole. So I assume Edmonds will have a possibility of parole at some point. They also have a former victim, Willie Angel. That's right. So they tell, they're like, we've got Edmonds, da-da-da-da-da. And Cooper's like, Edmonds is a fucking gullible ass idiot for believing that we were going to rid the streets of drug dealers. Yeah. And Cabot's like, what's it going to be? So Cooper's kind of like fucked. And does the weird 80s and 90s uh, business deal scene from a movie and writes a name down on a piece of paper and slides it across the counter? Okay. Oh, my God. Benson is with Hector Ramirez. Remember from the beginning he had the big scar on his face and was lying about a toothache to get close to the nurse? Remember? Oh, my God. Benson tells him that she knows he was in on killing Carlos and the other drug dealers to get rid of his competition and using a cop to do it. God, that's so smart. Because he used a cop to do it, so he was avoiding, like, a turf war. He was avoiding war between fucking gangs and drug dealers and shit. That would have happened if it was just him. Mm -hmm. He tells Benson that business is cutthroat. Benson says, your execution is the one I'll actually attend. She, oh God, he's so fucking, I know. He's like, well, (laughs) you're gonna have have to wait like 10 or 15 years to see me die a lot can happen you know witnesses get amnesia people die oh he's so smug about it too threats see but his smugness i'm kind of (sighs) like yeah benson's phone rings she answers it hangs up and looks at hector and doesn't say anything before getting up to go but she looks pissed in a jail cell a guard leads benson to a hall hold on she answers the phone benson hears what's on the other end doesn't say anything more can you imagine being the person on the other end of that call being like did you hear me hello hello are you there are you there yeah hello (laughs) maybe i should call back i don't know okay (laughs) i'm gonna text her too just to make sure she got i don't know she didn't say did you hang up was that you hanging up Why do they always do this at SVU? They're in talking to their therapist and they're like, I'm the one who makes all the calls to let them know what's happening and communicate with each other. I'm basically like a 1940s phone operator and (laughs) I feel disrespected by all of them. Right. Okay. Next scene, a guard leads Benson down a hallway to a cell. Corner Warner is in there taking notes, kneeling next to Edmund's dead body. Edmonds hung himself with bedsheets, but no note was found. Coroner Warner says that he's been dead around an hour or two. Benson says he couldn't face it. And Coroner Warner says his sentence. Benson says facing what he did. And then Benson leaves <laughs> a cell. Fucking Toyota, that's it. Toyota. Before I start the chaser, make sure that you double check the trigger warnings because there's some really tough shit to hear. Nail your shit to the table because I'm going to tell you about Abner. I can't. No. I can't do this. Okay. Should we just skip it this week? Because I wrote this whole thing. I'm going to tell you about Abner Luima. Abner was born on November 24th, 1966 in Thomason, Haiti. In 1991, he immigrated to the U.S. He met his wife, Micheline, another Haitian immigrant, and they got married. They had little Abner Jr. And by 1997, he was a naturalized U.S. citizen. American dream shit is what he was doing, okay? Mm -hmm. He had gone to school for electrical engineering in Haiti but couldn't find work, so he grabbed up a job as a security officer at a water and sewage plant in Brooklyn. Okay. On the evening of August 8th, 1997, Abner went out to see live music at a Haitian dance club in Flatbush called Club Rendezvous. 
This episode is legit this. Ripped from the headlines. Okay. Yep, he went there with his brother Jonas and cousin Harold. The Phantoms were a Haitian pop band that would play there, and so they went to go see them. They started playing at midnight and went until the club closed at 3 a.m. At 4.08 a.m. on August 9th, police were dispatched to the club because a fight had broken out between two women and had spilled into a street brawl. Officers Justin Volpe, Charles Schwartz, Thomas Bruder, and Thomas Weiss were some of the cops that responded to the call. During the chaos, Abner was arrested for disorderly conduct, obstructing government administration, and resisting arrest. This is because Officer Justin Volp was clocked in the head and said that Abner was the one who had done it, so he was arrested. On the way to the 70th Precinct Station, they took a roundabout route to a more secluded area. They pulled over, and per Abner's recollection, the four cops beat Abner with a nightstick, their radios, and their fists. They pulled over twice for these beatings. Now, two of the cops, Weiss and Bruder, claimed to have never been with the other two, but later met them at the station. And, you know, there's a lot of lot of different accounts. Mm-hmm. Once at the station, Abner was thrown into a holding cell after being strip-searched. Later, 25-year-old Officer Justin Justin Volp, uh, the one who claimed to have been attacked by Abner, he was hit in the head, and another officer, it's debated whether it was Weiss or Schwartz, took Abner to a restroom. Now, there are a lot of stories that end up shaking out as to responsibility, what each officer did. Mm -hmm. There were arguments. Some attempted to stop what had happened. Some were unaware. But at the center of it is Officer Justin Volp. Okay. I'm going to put a trigger warning here, even though I put him in the notes. I'm going to be giving some graphic and disturbing details, so skip ahead if you need to. What did happen was... Abner was beaten and raped by a wooden object. Again, it was debated whether it was a plunger or broken broom handle. Abner's teeth were also broken because the same object covered in blood and feces was shoved into his mouth. Oh my fucking God. Later, Abner was taken to the Coney Island Hospital ER. He was left handcuffed to his bed, unattended for hours. The escorting police who guarded him told nurse Magalie Laurent that the injuries were from, quote, abnormal homosexual activities and pressed her to ensure that's what she wrote on the report. Magali, if I am pronouncing stuff wrong, because these are Haitian names and stuff, if I'm pronouncing them wrong, please let me know because I feel like a fucking butcher. Anyway, this nurse, Magali, she is a queen legend and Haitian immigrant, knew that these cops were full of shit. She thought it was complete bullshit. Mm -hmm. She felt that Abner's extensive injuries were more likely from being raped and beaten. Mm -hmm. Abner spent the next two months in the hospital, having a total of three major operations to fix the damage that had been done to his colon and bladder. Jesus fucking Christ. He was near death a lot. Most of it, I mean, they com- took out almost all of his colon. Like, there, I mean, it was just extensive, extensive damage. Magali had initially notified Abner's family as well as IAB, the Internal Affairs, because she's like, these fucking cops did this shit. Lawyers, Haitian community leaders, and Abner's family rushed to his side. There could be a whole other story on the attempt to cover this up by the city the cops, and I feel like I feel like it's Scooby-Doo right now. They could have gotten away with it too, but the press got a hold of it, for one thing, okay? On the evening of August 11th, two days after the attempt on Abner's life, New York Daily News columnist Mike McCallery received this voicemail, quote, you don't know me, but I'm calling because in the 70 precinct in Brooklyn on August 9th at about 400 hours, the cops there sodomized a prisoner. They took a nightstick and shoved it up his behind and into his bladder. The patient is currently at Coney Island Hospital. His last name is L-O-U-I-M-A. Now they're trying to cover it up because it was two white officers and they did this to a black guy that they had locked up for disorderly conduct and now they're charging him with assault too. 
I won't call you back anymore, end quote. Mm. It's assumed that it was another cop that was afraid to say anything and so made an anonymous call to the press. Because you're, I mean, they're going to do their own digging, but if they don't have your name, they don't know who you are, you know, your name's not going to be on any kind of report. So I think mm -hmm. they thought this was the best they could do. Once the story was broken by this guy, it went 90s viral. It was all over the tabloids, news, fucking Ted Koppel was covering it. There were demonstrations. One huge one in particular was a march in Brooklyn held on August 29th, 1997. Reverend Al Sharpton was one of the leaders in that rally. Thousands mm -hmm. of people showed up to it and they all gathered to march down Flatbush Avenue chanting no justice, no peace, only stopping in front of the Brooklyn Hospital to say a silent prayer for Abner who laid inside too sick to watch the march on TV. This was nearly three mm -hmm. weeks after he was attacked. Fucking Rudy Giuliani, the mayor at the time, even took a public stance condemning the officers. It was three months prior to election. Like, let's not fucking give him too much credit because it was three months prior to the election. Giuliani is notorious for unregulated police forces and being complete trash. Mm -hmm. But it was a big deal that he said anything at all. He reached the lowest bar of expectations for our representatives. Johnny Cochran got involved. It was huge. Yeah. Uh, in an interview from the hospital, Abner said, quote, if I become a symbol for change, then this will make me feel better. It helps me to know that so many people of the city are with me. It helps me be less in pain to know how many people of the city care about me. I feel the love. After an investigation, the four cops I mentioned before would be indicted. Justin Volpe, Charles Schwartz, Thomas Bruder, and Thomas Weiss. The Flatbush Four is what they called them. Mm -hmm. Officer Volpe, in particular, was facing multiple charges. Several counts of violating Abner's civil rights, obstruction of justice, and making false statements to the police. He initially pled not guilty, but changed it halfway through the trial. I wonder if it had anything to do with another officer testifying that after the rape in the bathroom, Volpe paraded through the precinct with the bloodstained broken broom handle bragging that he quote took a man down tonight how the fuck is that a flex in is what i'm asking this is what's insane right. about cop culture to me even someone was sitting there and thought this was the most fucked up thing ever they still can't say anything without their own terrible consequences fortunately somebody did you know call the press there were there was other stuff happening i don't want to minimize what abner's community leaders were trying to do that had some pull but it's rare it's that this actually would get any kind of light exactly that's how fucked up shit is like you can mm -hmm. i know what you're saying yeah not to mention okay this is another reason why he probably changed his plea to guilty was that there was a witness teddy Peschen, who would be deemed a good witness because he had a solid job he was a respiratory therapist you know like somebody to come on the stand that it would be hard to discredit he testified the following quote is from an interview that he gave to vanity fair quote it wasn't abner who threw a punch at the cop it happened so fast abner went in to break up a fight between two girls he took out a security badge from his job abner and one of the officers began arguing and abner said i'm gonna get your badge number weiss the one he was fighting with yelled let's get him and hit abner in the head another haitian threw a punch at one of the other cops and made a run for it then i saw seven or eight cops jump on abner one put his foot on his back and one put his knee on his neck at the trial volp did end up testifying he admitted to the rape threatening abner's life as well as this might be the worst that abner wasn't even the person who had attacked him outside of the club the jury convicted Volpe on December 13th, 1999. Justin Volpe was sentenced to 30 years in prison without the possibility of parole. He also had to pay a $525 fine, which seems really small, and $277,495 in restitution. Officer Charles Schwartz was convicted on June 27th, 2000 for being the second man in the bathroom assisting Volpe and was sentenced to 15 years. But Volpe said that Officer Weiss was 
actually the one who was in there. So there was a lot of mixed shit. Eventually, Schwartz's conviction was overturned in an appeal because it was said that he didn't receive a fair trial. It was almost impossible because of the public outrage surrounding Volpe's case. So that was an argument in almost everything following because the public was beside themselves. In 2002, Schwartz did, however, stand trial for perjury because he had previously testified that he didn't lead Abner to the bathroom when he did. And that cost him five more years. Mm-hmm. Also, officers Bruder Weiss and Sergeant Michael Belomo were convicted of conspiracy to obstruct a federal investigation, but that was overturned two years later as well for insufficient evidence, even though there was a lot of roundabout talk to explain away why when the nurse called IAB, like why that wasn't recorded and reported to the DA as per fucking protocol, you know, all that shit. Following the trial, Abner filed a civil suit against the city of New York and won an $8.75 million police brutality settlement. The largest in the city's history up to that point. Today's money, that's over $14 million. After legal mm-hmm. fees, Abner went home with 5.8 million bucks. Fucking Abner took that money and did some shit. He set up the Abner Louima Foundation. It's a nonprofit that builds community centers and hospitals in Haiti, New York, and Florida. They focus on the needs of Haitian immigrants, residents, and others who need help. He paid school tuition for 14 children in Thomason, the town he grew up in in Haiti. He continues to participate mm-hmm. in anti-police brutality demonstrations and has been honored for his efforts in that. He was once quoted in saying, maybe God saved my life for a reason. I believe in doing the right thing. Volpe is currently Mm -hmm. serving his 30 years at the Federal Correctional Institute in Beaumont, Texas, a minimum security facility, and is scheduled for release on January 9th, 2025. Wow. Jeez, man. Mm -hmm. How have I not heard of that? You say that every fucking time. I know I do, don't I? Wow. I know. Well, fuck. That was intense. Yeah. And it's like... I don't like that. I know. I didn't like that. (laughs) Okay. Next week, we have season four, episode 14. A fucking one month old with Tay-Sachs disease is found stuffed in a cooler. That's all I'm going (gasps) to say. Sorry, Tasha. Uh, What is it called? What is the episode called? It's called Mercy. Oh, I hate it. You guys follow us on social media at SVU pod. Email us at SVU pod at gmail.com with ghost stories for Gabe or whatever. Mm-hmm. Check out our Patreon, Aaron Join our Facebook group, SVU Pod Elite Squad. Super fun. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Rate and review us. Give us a five, you know? Just throw us a five. Just a five. Five stars, High man. five. Yeah. What's our P.O. Box again? P.O. Box 176, DeForest, Wisconsin. 53532. Hashtag little bit loud to find some fucking indie pods that don't aren't supported, you know? Support small independent podcasting. Yeah. And if you have a pod like that, hashtag little bit loud. Yep. Everybody's welcome. Unless you're a piece of shit. Don't be like a Nazi and be like, hashtag yeah. NaziPod.com, <laughs> hashtag little bit loud, fucking fuck off. You yeah. Know? Uh, <laughs> Abortion suck pod, eat my dick. Love, Love you, you, bye. bye. Benson is going through Edmund's phone records with Toots and Craigans. There were 55 fucking Toots and Craigans. Toots and Craigans. Why don't you toot my Craigan? <laughs> Toots and Craigans. It's a buffet place. I love it there. Oh my God. Let's open it. Come on down to Toots and Craigans. We got all you eat ribs. All, all you eat. Tasha. You eat. It was perfect. All you eat ribs. You don't need to. <laughs> An intake guard named Nathan Duarte. Duarte. And it... <laughs> don't try to church it up. It's dirt. <laughs> Joe Duarte. <laughs> hump, 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 hump. No. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs>
pom pom. You sounded like a robot for a second. Yeah, hopefully. You do occasionally. Trevor Lincoln. Yeah. Cooper and his lawyer. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I haven't, we haven't done the robot in a while. I know. Anyway, like, do you want do you want to meet me at Toots and Craig's and <laughs> Toots and Craig's? They have all, all all you can eat all you eat ribs right now. <laughs> to our elite squad patrons, Haley K, Sonia W, Jenny S, Sky K, Marissa M, Elky H, Annie G, Mary D, Andrew, Andrew. Rebecca D, Miranda B, Shelby W, Lex. Emily T, Kayla W, Mallory G, Bonita R, Marin, Vanessa, Amy P, Jess M, Summer M, Melanie G, Courtney W, Ursula S, Emily A, Kate H, Uyunga, Nicole R, Julia P, Sapphire, Kayla, Allison B, Catherine M, Kate P, Jessica S, Nicole M, Acacia V, Danielle W, Kelsey D, Jana M, Joshua H, Tammy J, Bear, Bear. Sarah G, Bear. Crystal, Lucy M, Trisha S, Sam D, Laura D, Laura I, and Sarah. We love you and appreciate you. Thanks so much for fucking joining the Patreon and helping make this possible for us. We love our patrons so yeah. much. 